So this, is, this has been kind of put together a little bit this afternoon and a little bit yesterday. <clears throat> and uh, I forgot to put something at the beginning that I've meant to, and as I was driving down, I, I was kind of reminding myself about. And just to try and set the scene, I think, I mean, we will talk about them, but um, some of you will have heard me talk about God's original design. I think when God first created and all that he created was good, um, we see in that context of the garden and man and God in perfect relationship, the dynamics at work. One was humble dependence. Write that down. The humble dependence. That's God's original design. That we. This is what Jesus modeled as the second Adam, but it was given also to the first Adam, that actually God would provide for all of his needs. That was his promise. Through relationship, through food, <laughs> through physical needs, through emotional needs, through spiritual needs, everything he needed to thrive as one created in the image of God. God promised as long as he lived in dependence upon him through humility. The second characteristic of God's original design, I think, was that man would live in expectant faith. Expectant faith. God has promised. I expect it to happen. I trust because he is good. Daily we walk in the cool of the garden. And um, I live by faith in the God who created me. And I don't need to doubt. I don't need to be afraid. And if God has said it, I can take it to the bank. I can live my life upon that truth. Third characteristic is abundant gratitude. Abundant gratitude. Adam had so much to be thankful for. I mean, he's got the best job in the world. <laughs> he's got the only job in the world. <laughs> he's living in paradise. He's in perfect relationship with his creator. And God's going to give him a beautiful woman. <laughs> and so there's a lot going for this man. Um, but he's representative. He's the archetypal. wanted us to live in that place of abundance and interestingly that's what jesus says i've come that you might have life life in abundance and out of that there will be a, a sense of gratitude for this god in whom we live in expectant faith and humble dependence and those were dynamics and characteristics and what we find immediately in the, the twisting of the narrative and the suddenly the insertion of an enemy who opposes God's will and God's ways and tempts and leads man astray is that those three things begin to break down. And they break down by interfering with the relationship. It's changed from that point on. And you've to relational intimacy and connection with others. And they're directly related to these characteristics that God first gave to us and wants to recreate for us. So rather than living in humble dependence, we live in self-reliance. 
One is rooted in humility, the other in pride. Rather than walking with expectant faith, we live with selfish fear and we take what we think we need rather than trust a God to give us what he's promised to give us. And this is not just in terms of us and God, it's us and people as well, because it, it reflects in our human relationships. And then thirdly, abundant gratitude gets replaced by self-condemnation. I believe the lie. I believe that I'm both unworthy and therefore God is not going to give me what he said. And therefore I have to will that I have. And shame drives me away. And we see that almost immediately, don't we, in the um, Genesis 3 narrative of after we've taken of the apple, suddenly we, we felt naked and we were afraid and we were filled with shame and we hid. And so we're going to see some of these uh, patterns play out uh, as we look at this tonight. Also want to say, please jump in, ask questions, reflect back. I will pause after each one, but um, let's kind of wrestle with some of this together because... I don't have, I'm not an expert on this. I've kind of fallen prey to all of them. <laughs> but we can learn together. Now, this verse I quoted this morning, uh, wonderful words of Jesus. I have told you these things. This is about the reassurance and the promise to prepare a place for them whilst they're upon the earth. But I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, as believers, we live, we kind of live in two worlds at the same time. In one sense, we are fully signed up members of the kingdom of heaven. In Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing. And yet we live upon an earth that is under the control of the evil one. And our flesh is tainted by his activity. And not just externally and not just kind of the world system, but actually within our very members, even though we have tasted of the powers of the age to come, right? ...towards all of these self-oriented behaviors and sin, ultimately, living independently of God. Now, the good news is, these, you know, the, the, Jesus is the victor. We're on the winning side. In fact, we've won. If we could only get that into our heads, we've won. Seriously. There's no need to strive. We are complete at one level. And in him, our future is secure. And that's how he wants us to live upon the earth in the midst of the struggle and the battle and the reality of fallenness, both within ourselves, but also within the world and its system. bear witness to the light in the midst of the darkness through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ within us. And like I was saying earlier, 
the more that we yield to and surrender to and obey and walk in his ways, the more we will know that reality. As Paul says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so God the Father has given him all authority in earth and heaven. That's Matthew 28. Therefore, he says, go make disciples and teach them everything I've commanded you. Baptize them and lo, I'm with you always. So his power and his authority flowed from his relationship with the Father, because that's where the authority was rooted, but it's been given to him. And we are invited to participate in that, in him. Remember I said, everything that belongs to him, if we're... And therefore, the victory potentially becomes ours. But all of this plays out... On the, plat- on the in the arena of human relationships. And obviously God relationship as well. It played out with Jesus. You know, he came to his own, but his own received him not. His own, in fact, ultimately strung him on a cross and crucified him. Because they failed to see who he was and receive him. And to receive his word. And... Um, you know, he sets one, the enemy sets one against another. This is his strategy. And we all know what that feels like, don't we? We all recognize that. So it's summarized in a way. We, we Paul says, um, actually, it's in the Anglican, um, you know, some of the earliest liturgy with regard to spiritual warfare is in the prayer book, 1662 in Anglican liturgy, where there's a recognition at your baptism that you're now engaged in a struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not that God hates the world. God loves the world, but there's a world system that we are in the midst of, in it but not of it. There's an enemy prowling around, and like I said, there's the flesh. And that's kind of summarized in these verses from Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. There's the world, the ways of the world. And uh, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So it's not just a world system, but it's anti-Christ, anti-God. There's a work that also affects us. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. The lust of the flesh. And so a combination of those things. We followed its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What comes next? Ephesians 2, 4, first two words, but God. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached a great sermon on but God. The but God of Ephesians. And that's the gospel. This is what we were. But understand, though we have been rescued from dominion of darkness, we're still surrounded by it. It manifests itself in the realm of relationships between us and God and us and other people. 
what we've shared, you know, as, as I mentioned here, I think we're, we're kind of made up of, you know, body. We, there's a physical frame that God has given us. Physicality is important because the word became flesh. So we have a physical frame that's kind of wearing out a little bit. And, uh, but we also have a soul as an understanding that we're, we're more than just physical. We have this often referred to as like the, the mind, the thought life, um, the will, the choices, the freedom that we have, and the emotions. And then we're spirit beings as well when we come alive in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And these are dimensions of what we are. And we've been honing in. In the realm of the soul, how are we affected when relationships go wrong because of sin, the world, sorry, the flesh, the world, and the devil? And what happens is that it affects us hugely, particularly in this realm of the soul, insofar as it triggers painful emotions that then cause secondary emotions of anger and fear, guilt, shame. <clears throat> it affects our thought life because we begin to believe things that weren't, aren't true but feel true. And, and we start to see the world through distorted lenses. And therefore, we then start to make choices. Remember the, the symptoms of what flows out of a full cup? Those are simply choices we make, activities, out of that condition of our soul, and particularly our heart or our emotions. And when we act like that, Because these things are so intertwined, where, you know, where we're one in body, soul, and spirit. And it affects our spiritual life. It affects our capacity to hear and receive and follow God. You see, you can't separate that out. That's what John was addressing with the people who were saying, it's just all about the spiritual. It's about being super spiritual. And it's all this ethereal stuff. And it doesn't really matter what you do with your body and how you live your life and the choices you make. And, and John comes out fighting against, no, absolutely not. We saw him, we touched him, we felt him, we smelt him. He was human, and we are. And God is redeeming our humanity in all of that. But if we, you know, I've just become convinced of this, because this is a danger, we can fall into that, the danger of that spiritual thing. But my experience is most of the problems... and in our families, in our workplaces, and in our wider community, are issues of the soul. The emotional realm in particular, but all of those things connected. And so, it's vital that we understand God has made provision for us to stand against the ways of the enemy, but it's crucial that we nurture and foster a heart that is free to connect deeply with God, as was he originally intended, and with his people. Because he's created us to live in dependence of one another, not just of him. Remember, not good for man to be alone. So the enemy will do whatever he can to sow disruption and division into those relationships. And primarily he does it through pain. So, give me some thoughts, give me some reactions or questions, comments as we're hearing this. Is this fair? 
in, in terms of what I'm saying. It's kind of not fair sometimes, is it? That life is like this. Life is unfair at times. But nobody said it was going to be fair. We just want it to be. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like it's totally in the air. So you really need that strength and bond. That you raise down. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yes. Right. And that's just exposing this reality. This is what we're created for. We're created for deep connections and touch, affection. And when we can't have those things, we, we feel the pain of that. Absolutely. To, Alan. To go further, um, I was, I was the, uh, oh, the, the clients at work said they were so glad that you worked here and you energized us and made their time uh, enjoyable. And I said, well, you know, I, uh, I need you as much as you need me because um, because of COVID self-isolation, mm -hmm. you don't get to do the stuff that you want to. Mm -hmm. So I can, I, I get a little bit of relationship with the clients. And then the, Absolutely. the client made a comment that we draw energy from each other. Right. Thing that God has put within us, in our common humanity, irrespective of our backgrounds and how we see ourselves. It's the, talked about that this morning. There's this glorious reality of what we're, we're destined for and created for. And when we, when we catch that, you know, I think that's why Paul talks about, don't say you don't need one another. You do in the body. In fact, those you want to discount as of least value, he said, they're of the most value to you, actually. It's something that comes through connection with those that you don't get from others. We don't measure in the same way as the world measures. All right, so I want to I want to look at seven strategies that the enemy uses because uh, Paul says, "In order that Satan might not outwit us, we for we are not unaware of his scheme." in our spiritual lives and in life generally and in love is that we we need to understand the ways of the enemy and of the flesh and of the world and as well as understand obviously the ways of christ and what leads us into fullness and abundance so um we've got seven of these and we'll kind of go through them relatively quickly but first one lies lies and was it damn lies, more lies? Something like that, isn't it? Anyway, but just the reality of deception. Won't get tempted to speak into other arenas here. You belong to your father, the devil. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. He's saying this, not because they're devil worshippers, but they're acting more like the devil. And they've been deceived. We want to do what our fathers tell us. There is no truth in him. When he lies, 
He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So let's understand that there are lies out there. And there are lies in here. And the enemy likes to whisper lies into our psyche and mind and understanding. And then very often he'll use pain as the primary uh, driver for that at times. This is why, obviously, truth, uh, what is truth, those famous words. But Jesus claimed, proclaiming that he not just knew the truth, but he was truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am Therefore, I stand in opposition to an enemy who wants to deceive and to lie. And the wonderful thing is that God has given us a spirit of truth. This is why fundamentally in all of these things, what we're going to find is our best defense is to deeply love God and walk in the spirit. But it's important to understand what, what does that bring to us and how do we use that in order to go to the battle in a way and combat the, the kind of attack of the enemy, both from without and within. Now, sometimes these lies will come from within ourselves. You know, sometimes we quickly want to blame the enemy out there, but sometimes it's a condition of our heart that's triggering these thoughts. But God's gift to us is the spirit of truth. And Jesus' promise, expectant faith, remember, is that he will lead us into all truth. But sometimes, famous words of Jack Nicholson, we can't handle the truth. I mean, I'm serious, seriously. Sometimes, for instance, when somebody comes and tells us that our behavior has had a damaging or hurtful effect upon them, can we handle that truth? This is where our humble dependence comes in. But you see, there are, there are instinctive things in our flesh that resist truth. You might have heard me say, all of us are largely addicted to the way we think. We tend to believe that what we understand and how we see the world and how things are, according to Mike, are the truth. We'll be tired of anyone who tries to challenge that. But I'm not sure I'm willing to risk opening... I mean, ultimately, this is going to come down to the wire, and we're going to find out if Jesus really is true. And many people are going to be mistaken because they've rejected him as truth. Sadly, that's how powerful the lie of the enemy is, to resist the truth of our creator. So, Part of our approach is we've got to be on a journey of pursuing truth. You've heard me talk about this in terms of light. It's the same, it's a different metaphor, but it's the same idea. We need light. We need truth. That comes through the spirit of truth, comes through the word of God. And it comes through our fellowship with one another. But very often the us from opening ourselves up to that truth. We may believe that we don't deserve it. 
I've had people struggle with the gospel because I don't deserve to be saved. But that's the lie that says you have to be good enough. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from God. It's a gift. It's grace. But we fall prey to that. We fall prey to the lie that people will always hurt you out of the measure of pain that we've experienced. Don't trust anyone. We live by these things. But like I've been trying to show you, those aren't just random abstract thoughts that just drift in. They're tied to our stories. And they're often tied not just to our story, but to our, our, our family line of stories. And this idea of these familiar spirits that go, oh, that's the way it's like that. That's like someone said to me the other day. Well, that's just how I am. And what he was articulating was a way that's inconsistent with the way of Christ. And he's a Christian. But we, get, we believe that's all that's possible. I'm not capable of anything more. Who says? Who put limits on you? I can do all things through the one who gives me strength, Paul says. But we believe the lie. Oh, I could never be that. Oh, I could never be a leader. Oh, I could never teach, heal, whatever. Oh, there are numerous things that could be, could be behind that, but fundamentally, there are lies and mistruths. So, in the midst of this, I've kind of in each of these, uh, I've kind of put a, a lookout. Be on the lookout. Be aware of all. The place of deception lies we, we we hide ourselves through what I call stonewalling. I sometimes talk with couples about the four horsemen. This is one of them. And, and it's basically, it's up drawbridge. No one's getting in. <laughs> and we believe that this, it, I've got to protect myself at all cost. This is very sad as a human being that we would live like this. It's understandable though. It's why we need the healing message of the gospel and of the love of God. But Nevertheless, it's, a, it's an old coping mechanism, and it leads us to avoid intimacy, very often fueled by fear. Because lies don't lead us to truth. Lies don't lead us to life. Lies lead us into the darkness. All right, let me pause for a moment. Let's just cogitate that one a little bit. Anybody got anything they want to add? Anything you want to add? Uh, for a moment? I was reading a book recently, a couple of days back, and they were talking about, um, I don't remember if they said, kind of family history. You might have been saying family lies, like you said. Yes. This is how yeah. it always is. Are things that you really have to look out for and really work hard to overcome because they are just kind of ingrained. They're kind of ingra ingrained, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. This is how my dad was, this is how my granddad yep. was. Yep. This is, mm -hmm. this is how we deal with this, how we respond to these situations. This is 
neural pathways. This is the messaging that's, and for us to get outside of those ruts into new ones is work. And but it, this is the, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is why repentance constantly leads us to life because it's, I've got to change my thinking. I've got to renew my mind. I've got to realize I've, I've lived under this shroud of darkness. But they're very familiar and there's almost a, a level of comfort within them. And it's scary to get outside of them because have I lived my life a lie for so long? I'd almost rather stay there. Yeah, it's like the sins of the father can really get visited down. It's like a whole generational thing of depression can be developed. And I think it comes to the point where you have to ask to be broken yeah. and recognizing that there is a spiritual element that's being passed along. Right, yeah. right. We've got to understand that, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven is a matter of power. Yeah. It's, it's rooted in authority. That Jesus has been given all authority through his victory over spiritual forces. And uh, this is why we can't just reform and redeem ourselves. Because it's beyond us. We can't save ourselves. We need a savior, a redeemer. We need someone to break this power, this yoke of the enemy, ultimately, over our lives. And this is what Christ has done for us through the cross. But we need to appropriate this power into our lives. This, this comes to us through truth, through prayer, through humble dependence, expectant faith. Seriously. It comes through relational means. This is fascinating to me. It's not just, you know, go down to Walmart and get yourself a box of tricks and you... you we buy the solution for everything. But no, the only solution is a relational solution because ultimately it's a relational problem. It's not materialistic. That's right. Yeah. And so material solutions will get us out of the fix. But of course, that's the law, that's the lust of the, the world. Sorry, Tina. I was just um, thinking about the times where it is that, um, you know, like I used to be in my own denial of the, of the, the lies and deception, but now that I have God in me more, and the more that I work on it, the more that I can see the lies coming from other people. And when I'm standing in front of them and I'm saying to them, look, that is a lie. That is a complete lie. And you can see in their face going, well, maybe she's right. But I'm so entrenched. I don't know. That can't be true. That can't be true. But just the, the um, what do you call it, the interaction that I have with that I'm standing in front of saying, no, yes. that's a lie. Yeah. That, that yeah. just, get, I can just see the glimmer of hope in somebody mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. they, they hear that. Mm -hmm. and, and even though they might not believe it, I know that they're going home and they're thinking about what I said right. about that. Right. And that, you know, like the, they, know, they trust me. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm telling the truth. And that's an important thing. I think, um, you know, trust, it's more than just information we're giving. It, it's relational, it's love, it's compassion, it's care. And truth needs to be packaged in those things. <laughs> and when they are, you know, this is how God works. And he works through us in this way. But we're coming up against, you know, as Paul says, the God of this world has blinded people.
mentality, not just through ourselves, but through this, this force, this power that's at work. This is why we need spiritual power to break the deadlock, to break the blindness, to open the blind eyes. I always say that vulnerability is attractive. But what is attractive? Vulnerability. Oh, vulnerability. vulnerability. Absolutely. It is. It is. Yeah. I think as well, we can, and Mike made reference to this, but we can challenge people when they say, well, I, I'm this or I, I'm not that, I'll never do that. And I think when we say that, well, who told you that? Mm. Because I think, you know, we can expose the enemy schemes by saying, well, who told you? Who told you that? And slowing down and challenging that both for ourselves, uh, but for other people too. And, and I think, you know, if we're rushing along and just getting on with life, just automatically think these, these things, but we need to slow down. We need to examine these thoughts and um, are they from God or are they, you know, from somewhere else? Are they from my own self or, or are they from the enemy? And yeah. And, and some of that, the more skilled we get that in ourselves, the more we can help other people to the extent they want. So the person who believes the lie, well, tell me about that. Why is that true for you? What, what experiences have convinced you that that is a truth to live by? And there will be a story. And we can have compassion for that story. But we can also bring light to bear. Not just tell them they're stupid for thinking that, but actually shine God's light in a way that's attractive through vulnerability, like you say, more than uh, the world's ways or the devil's. Good, thank you. Leaving us and lying to us, he accuses us. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, this revelation, quoted some of this. Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God. Our God, night, day and night, he has been cast down. So Satan means the accuser. And this, this attack and this subtle approach of the enemy, where he, you know, he hooks into what's already that, that tendency towards, remember that self-condemning voice, rather than living in abundant gratitude that I'm worthy of being given to and loved and God gives to me and I am rich. No, I'm unworthy. I'm no good. I don't deserve and it's reinforced by this accuser of the brethren. Call yourself a Christian. Huh, look at that. Christians don't behave like that. Who do you think you are? At this point of our identity, and it's such, this is why, <laughs> again, it's the, this is why the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, is so important that we live into this fullness of this reality. Because the foundation of who we are is children of God, created for him to bear his image and his glory and to live in love and relationship. And we are the beloved. But the accuser and the self-condemning shame-filled voice is so rampant in our culture and in our churches. We're afraid to confess to one another because we, we feel shame when there is no shame. So not a, this kind of is closely aligned with lies because it's ultimately rooted in the lie that you are no good. It, it's a lie that attacks our identity. We're beyond salvation. 
the spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know, this, this old story here is so powerful. This is Luke 15, the prodigal. And what's sad in this is, is really the older brother who, you know, the, the young brother who, you know, the prodigal is literally one who wastes his life. He knows he doesn't deserve anything. And he can't get over the generosity of his father. He wasn't expecting any of it. But the sad thing is the older brother who's there, who, who, who hasn't been able to enjoy everything that he has because he's not in an intimate relationship with the father. He's around him all the time, but he doesn't know him. And it's one of the saddest things to be around church, around the gospel message, hearing the scriptures and not know who we are. Because we fall prey to this life. But remember, as we went through the emotions, this self-condemning voice, this shame is rooted ultimately in pain. It's, you know, we've taken this on because of the way we've been treated very often, or we've seen other people being treated, or how other people have behaved. Even as children, we take on lies about our identity. And so, as Brene Brown reminds us in a lot of her research, shame is one of the primary kind of hindrances to close connections and relationships in our lives. People are so lonely because of it, isolated, hidden. Um, but it's very hard to thrive and flourish as a human being when we're in that space. And thanks be to God, he wants to free us from the lie. So some of our old patterns, both the, the staying hidden is of an obvious one, but this, this need, this image that will be likable. I've got to be nice. Give me a scripture that says anywhere we've got to be nice. The fruit of the Spirit is not niceness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. But it's also the Spirit of truth. We're to truth in love. We're to be honest. We're to be real with one another. But very often, um, it's hard for us to do that because we're so, with Sophie, we've got to please people. Say the right thing. Not trigger their stuff. But actually, it's also our stuff. And, uh, you know, to avoid further rejection. And so if you find yourself holding back, express, I used to do this so much. I've been, I mean, business meetings and all sorts earlier on, and still to a certain extent. And I just find myself thinking stuff, wanting to say stuff, but I'm, I'm thinking all the time, how will this be received? How will people react? It's an awful thing because we doubt ourselves. The group misses out and I, and I miss out we miss out because all the while we're trying to anticipate reaction because we think we've got to measure up to something and we know we don't and so we stay in the shadows and we defer to others but meanwhile we live with you know the, the emotion of these things and, and this is not what the community of God needs. This is, you know, for us, you know, we're about, the, we're about taking this message of a kingdom. <laughs> and so it's very important we understand that we're, we're children of the king. We have access into the throne room of God with freedom. It's glorious. It's just elusive at times. I but, think also when we're anticipating people's reaction, I guess I can't. 
I'm trying to protect myself. I'm more concerned about me than the, that dynamic of what should happen within a, a group or a, or a relationship. And I think that's more prevalent than we realize that <laughs> we're just trying to protect ourselves all the time. And so when we're doing that, we're not living in that place of humble dependence. You know, we're, uh, we're depending on ourselves. We're, we're not taking God at his word, even in those little instances. Yeah. yeah. This life of faith is, is a challenge, isn't it? We realize, you know, we've lived in this other place. We're so entrenched in that. And, um, but, just, we got to open up. Does the pace he knows is best for us. Again, don't think we've got to move at a certain pace. No, we just got to keep moving, keep walking, you know? Any other comments or thoughts about the accuser of the brethren? Yeah, I know I used, to, I used to really struggle with that too, like in staff meetings at work, just kind of the same thing, like analyzing, is this house is going to go yeah. across? Because I see other workers making comments or whatever, and so a lot of criticism would come up too, like, yeah, that's not that's such a great idea or whatever. And so you're kind of really getting into a thing of self-doubt, and maybe, maybe I don't have anything to say. So a lot of times I'd just be quiet, wouldn't say anything. Yeah. And yeah. I look back and, yeah, wow, well, you know, I had these ideas. Why didn't I say something? Yeah. Yeah. But it was all this kind of self-doubt stuff. Mm -hmm. Come back mm -hmm. earlier in my childhood or whatever, you know, feeling yeah. that, no, you don't have anything worthwhile to say or, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So it just all these things kind of enter. Play in there a lot of times where you think you have something to say, but then it's like, no, nah, maybe not. You know, maybe it's not going to be received too well. So you hold back. Now, and when we when we have ventured out in an environment that's toxic and seen what it's like when we say something that's not welcome, it can only reinforce that negative, can't it? Um, and sometimes, sadly, the church is one of the more toxic environments. Because, you know, we're prone to the power games and, and playing using the old habits here as much as anywhere. Now, we should be better. But when we, this is why we've got to create, we've got to work towards creating an environment in our families, in our teams, in our leaderships, in our councils, where, you know, contribution is invited and celebrated, even the most obtuse. Always most of and it's so easy to say something that will push people back. And we want to encourage the contributions. In, in a place of acceptance. Not that we have to we have to embrace everything that's said, but you never know what one person's contribution can trigger in another and how that can help fuel uh, a constructive um, kind of way forward. All right, number three, murder, murder. He's a killer. You belong to your father, the devil. This is kind of tied into the, the first one. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. So the devil is out to kill, to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants to destroy life. He wants to destroy what God is creating and has created. He wants to, you know, the word 
must still keep on getting, but we start warning of what God has called us to be as glory bearers. I mean, not just surviving and going to heaven, but my goodness, bearing the very glory of God in our lives, taking ground, recreated, carrying around with it as the light of Christ. And, and God's provision against the murderer is the spirit of life, eternal life, which means we are connected with the source of life. He is not only the truth, he is life, life eternal. So we're born again into this, well, this indestructible life, as Peter talks about it. In, and so it's found in his son. Remember the scripture this morning. Eternal life is in his son, in Jesus. That's what the enemy was trying to do to him. Kill him. To win. How quickly murder comes into the scene. And obviously it's Genesis 4, just after Genesis 3. Brothers fighting, jealous, murder. This is his way. Nothing has changed. Sadly. So let's beware. We should talk about this in this business we worked in. Let's not write people off too quickly. That's the same thing in a way. Oh, they'll never change. Tried everything. They're useless. We talk to managers. Well, have you really tried everything? <laughs> you know, this plays out at all sorts of levels, I would say. Of course, what we talked about, it, anger is one of the chief emotions that fuels murder. And Jesus exposed that, you know. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say, anyone who's guilty of anger is guilty of murder. And it's, again, it's, it's when we hold on to emotion that wants to put to death this person in terms of relationship between us. This is murder. Because God has created all of us to live in relationship with him and one another. So when we work towards discounting, writing off, walking away, refusing to be reconciled, we're following the ways of the enemy. This is one of his strategies. This is why, as we look in a minute, he sows division. But he wants us to murder. He wants us to put to death relationships. And to one another. And light. Community. The enemy hates that. So, accept one another, just as in Christ God has accepted us. This brings glory to him. It's a challenge though, isn't it? Let's face it. <laughs> we are people we'd rather not accept. Um, Number four, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. In abundance. 
Somebody got that. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Maureen. So he's a thief. In other words, he takes away from us that which is ours, life. He wants to steal. And we fall prey to this. Remember, when we, when we fall from that place of expectant faith to selfish taking, we're, we're basically stealing. We're, we're living in fear that if I don't take what I need, I'm not going to get it. And it's rooted in this same spirit. It doesn't come out of abundance. It doesn't come out of rest. It comes out of fear and isolation. And remember, God wanted us to live in expectant faith, to trust in his goodness, to know that if we ask of him, if we're walking in his will, then whatever we And I know there's struggle with that. There's mystery with that. It's our final text in 1 John next week. I haven't begun to deal with it yet. But um, that's part of the promise. That's faith. And therefore, we don't have to take. He who did not spare his own son, Paul writes, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? As a teenager, I lost a job for stealing. And, uh, you know, I've thought about this a lot. Because my dad was a... And I've always tried to understand why I did, why I did that. But I think it, it came, you know, it, it comes out of feeling you don't have anything and that you... And, and, and you don't feel a sense of connection that ultimately when we're stealing, we're taking from somebody else, something that belongs to somebody else. That's not good. It's not an appropriate thing to do. Unfortunately, we didn't sit down and talk about this. I just felt the punishment that came my way, appropriately so, at one level. But it wasn't redemptive. It was just punitive. But that's, you know, we fall prey to these things. We see ourselves as an island. We see ourselves as unrelated to others. And it's not just in taking of material things, but taking of attention. The person who feels the need. Where does that come from? Well, very often the fear that if, if I don't, nobody will talk to me. Again, it can be really subtle. I'm thinking of ways that I take. And sometimes, you know, I've cooked dinner and we'll be sitting there eating it. And I'll say, I'll ask, ask my, are you enjoying it? Is it okay? Because I want him to say that he likes it. But I'm taking because I'm asking him. I mean, he should just do it without me asking. But we can do it, you know, without, I, mean, not, I don't expect him every day to say, you know, this is delicious. But that's how I take. I'll, I'll say, is it okay? Are you enjoying it? Um, how was your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike asks me how my Occasionally. <laughs> well, yeah. 
the enemy as well. You know, if you just take the apple, think of really say, you'd be liking. It's attractive. There's more to be had. And we fall prey to it. And we we slip from that place. And it's it's rooted in fear. Which, of course, isn't the place God wants us to live in. He wants us to live out of a place of love and security. And the sad thing is, is that when we do, we do take inappropriately, we're not satisfied. It doesn't serve our needs. You see, we're wired to be given to freely. And when we are, it reinforces the relationship. That's what feeds us, not the thing that's given to us. It's the relationship. But, of course, when we take, there's no relationship. There's an absolute disconnect with this person. Yeah, I was just thinking that in terms of context between taking and receiving. Yeah. Taking is anti-relational, whereas receiving is relational. So it is. That it is. Yeah. Yeah. Between the two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's nice to receive, but giving because. Well, like God, then we, we experience the, the, the connection with God when we give more. And um, but also we enjoy the act, the reaction of the person we're giving to. And, yeah, lots of things that play in on that. Any, any other comments or thoughts about that one? All right. Shall we take a bit of a break? We've been out All right, next one, number five, division, separation. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, I mean, this is such a significant area. The the, the enemy attacks, obviously. And... Again, this reminder of how anger can so easily fuel not just murder, but breakages in relationships, separation, division. And interestingly, Paul says, when we act in anger, we give the devil a foothold. So one of the things... ...the power of sin, and he set us free from the power of the enemy... In Christ Jesus. And whilst we're in him, we are secure. We are free. We can walk in authority against the enemy and his ways. We now have a choice. But you see, when we act in anger and sin, we're no longer in Christ. Because he doesn't do that. And unfortunately, we've, we've taken the in Christ thing is like a label. Well, I'm Christian, so I'm good. Well, we give, in a sense, jurisdiction, authority back to the enemy when we choose to walk in the flesh. When we, when we remove ourselves from the covering of Christ and we reject his ways and his lordship and act Now, we can come back We can repent, and it's important that we do. We can confess our sins, and God is faithful and just to forgive us and to receive us back in the sense of um, his mercy. 
But don't think we can carry on living how we want regardless and it going well for us because we call ourselves a Christian. No, you shall know them by their fruit. It's how we live. Remember, it's a way of life. But it's fundamentally one of walking in expectant faith and humble dependence upon him. And very often when anger gets out of control such that we behave sinfully, and by that we withhold love and forgiveness from others. Actually, Jesus says you won't be forgiven. That's how much you've removed yourself from Father won't forgive you. It's not transactional, you see, it's relational. And we're in that relationship because of repentance and faith. That's how we stay in that place. And that's important. But the enemy tricks us, and it's one of his ways. And he fuels our anger. And he incites us <laughs> to violent acts. And we justify the anger. Well, they hurt me. Absolutely, they did. You're right to feel angry. But that doesn't justify sinning in your anger. Your anger is a valid emotion. But how do we remove anger from our cup? Don't all shout at once. How do we get anger out of our cup? Love? Well, yes. <laughs> that's a good answer. That's always going to be the right answer. But expressly, but specifically, you hurt me. Yes, you did something against me. I'm angry because of it, but I release it. I let you go. I wipe the slate clean. I, I need nothing from you. This is what God has done for us. And it's by his grace that we can do that for others. Remember, it's a stewardship thing. I was talking about that this morning. But beware of, you know, withholding forgiveness for too long. It's not good for us. Should carry a government health warning. It certainly carries a scriptural spiritual warning. This is not good for your salvation. And remember, we need to be saved today as well as yesterday and tomorrow. I think when we hold on to it, oh, sorry. When we hold on to it too, for too long, it, it isn't just anger, it then festers and it becomes bitterness. And it, you know, it permeates, gets into everything, yeah. <laughs> our bodies, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Um, when we take offence and we hold on to the offence and we label the offender we are least like our father in heaven we are most like our father the devil that's what he does beware of those things ask for mercy, ask for help but that's what it means to submit and to, to walk in obedience to Christ and that's where fellowship, that's where the compassion and care of others helps us. Because remember, pain drives our anger. Others can, and God will. And it's important that we do, because the pain is real. The pain needs to be removed as well as the anger. That's through comfort, though. But when we hold on to offense, when we label ourselves as a victim, 
these reinforce negative and uh, ultimately ungodly behaviors. And, and like I say, that puts us back in the devil's arena. He has more freedom over us. The Lord cannot protect us when we're walking in darkness. I don't know what that, where that is coming from. So my heart is all a flutter. <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't sound too much of a flutter. Um, number six, he binds us up. He ties us up in knots and controls us. Then should not this woman... Bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Jesus healed her and he forgave her. Tell me to leave it on. I'm just obeying. Oh, is that the thing that's causing the noise? Do you think? When I put it on there, it was like. Hmm. Were you doing that? No, I was not that. I wasn't touching the accuser. The accuser of the, of the sisterhood. <laughs> Um, this is, uh, you know, the heart of Jesus' ministry is to set the captives free. Satan binds us up through his lies, through his accusation, through sickness, through death, <laughs> through fear, through all of these things. This is not just a matter of human emotion. This is, remember, we're in a world under the control of evil. Is why we need Christ. But when Jesus comes into the synagogue and reads from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. There's an anointing through the spirit for him and for us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness, darkness for the prisoners. Boy, do we ever need this anointing today? This is our gospel ministry. But we better walk, be walking in it ourselves. Not just the freedom he gives us, but the anointing to set others free. And it's amazing that we can do this. And we can heal and we can deliver because of the authority that's been given. Because our names are written in heaven. Because we belong to the king. And, uh, and so the gospel, salvation is to free us from sin and death, absence of God, and to bring us into life. So it's, it's, um, this is where kingdom understanding is important, because with anointing comes authority, a recognition that the kingdom of God is an everlasting, expanding kingdom. And he has come against the kingdoms of this world and defeated them. There's a power struggle. But Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this, this, this means there's a bestowal of authority to us in Christ as we're walking with him in his name, doing, carrying out his Permit things to happen. We can give permission. We can forgive sins. That's a priestly ministry. We can set the captives free. 
and um, and we can forbid things. We can speak against the ways of the enemy. We've got to be careful with that because our focus has to be on the Lord. We haven't got to be too preoccupied with the demonic and supernatural powers. Just the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Get preoccupied with him and walk in him. But it's vital that we actually walk in this anointing. And that is somewhat contingent upon us walking in Christ and in his ways and walking in forgiveness. And walking in reconciliation. Because the enemy will use the, that kind of behavior against us. And he'll take us out of the game. So, you know, the kingdom is being expressed through us. The, the good news... <laughs> When Jesus came, now is the time is fulfilled. The good news is proclaimed. The good news was the kingdom is here. And that came at the beginning of his ministry, not at the end. The cross gave us victory over the power of sin and freedom from it. So understand that the power that is available to, um, to be released through us as we walk in him. And then finally, temptation desire. When the devil had finished all this tempting at the end of the, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus' words at that opportune time. Why are you still sleeping? Or why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So if we don't pray, we risk falling into temptation. Why is that? Any thoughts? Yeah, it, that's right. It, prayer uh, reorients its relationship, isn't it? It's focus. It's dependence. It's that humble dependence. Yeah, because that, yeah, reconnection, because there's connect, I think, yeah, that happens when we're not in that related yeah. prayer relationship. So then we get thinking, yeah, well, maybe I need to get this from somewhere else. And, uh, yeah, so we start to uh, look at me, there's exploring some other options here. Yeah, right. Feel some desires rather than having that, yeah. that uh, connection. Yeah. So this is where we've got to come back to this reality that the lust of the flesh is not just a sexual thing, but includes that. Um, and, and the lust of the eyes means we live in a world where desire, I mean, temptation is in front of us every day, <laughs> almost every moment of every day. And we live amongst a world system that isn't always glorifying God and portraying what is of ultimate value and worth. We catch glimpses of that. But let's understand the nature of the battle. We're in the Lord's army. And uh, remember I talked about the pastor in Argentina. He says, we're the army that marches on its knees. 
The church devoted themselves to prayer. Confess your sins, pray for one another. If we're not regularly praying, I would suggest with others, not just on our own, we may be prone to temptation because we need the power of God. We need the reality of the relationship with God. We need the word of God. We need conversation with God. We need the reinforcement, the encouragement of the gospel and our new identity and all of these things we've been talking about. And the more that we are engaged with God in prayer, the less likely we are to be walking in anger, guilt, shame, fear, victimhood. You see, you can't carry on. He wants to free us from that, to heal us from that. But the question is, what do we want? And it's simply that. What do we want? So let's not be unaware of the devil's schemes and his strategies, but let's equally not be unaware of God's provision. Um, we've, we've tried to show you that through, um, obviously through some of the material tonight, but, but also through the last six weeks, because the gospel is ultimately God's provision, but it's relationship, it's, it's eternal life, it's knowing the Father and Him who we send, it's provision for our pain and our anger. But it's up to us to appropriate, to, to receive that, to walk in that reality, to walk in the light, as he is in the light, to walk in truth. And to do that with one another, because there is strength when two or three agree together in prayer. There am I in the midst of them, Jesus said. Tremendous power when we agree together in prayer. Can't agree with myself. I can agree with others. Because that's how something, you know, that's the testimony of two or three. It's established. And it helps us keep on track. Am I praying the right things? <laughs> Am I praying the will of God? Because <laughs> that's the only thing that God says he's going to answer. And promise to answer. And that helps when we're doing it together. So, this last bit is just, I just kind of wanted to read, actually, this passage about the armor. to some of these things um, be careful about going to battle with the enemy directly you know some people got into praying against principalities and powers back in the charismatic 80s 90s and there's danger in that you know we've got to be careful about getting overly preoccupied with the, the, the fallen angels and sometimes even the good angels. But let's get preoccupied with the Lord and seeking him. These words from the Apostle Paul, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge obedient to Christ so it's it, it's truth it's the revelation of God in Christ it's the word of God it's the revelation 
and uh, and it's understanding that these strongholds, that these strongholds of the enemy, these lies that have got established, can only be broken sometimes through the power of God and the power of prayer. So we let's become a praying people. Let's walk in the authority and let's walk in the anointing. And let's learn to lay hands when the government allows us. <laughs> but you know, Jesus healed without laying hands as well. Remember the, the guy who said, you don't even need to come under my roof. I understand. Israel. That's the authority we walk in. If we're in him. Do you want to read that? Oh, would you like this? <laughs> Am I allowed? <laughs> I was thinking actually about COVID and, um, you know, we, we recognize that it's real, that it's out there and we take precautions don't we we some more than others but you know we we wear our masks sometimes we hand sanitize we wash our hands we keep a safe distance because we recognize it's a threat to us and i think that kind of sums up a little bit of what we're saying that you know that we're under threat as well but when we can follow these guidelines and believe who who the lord is and, and who he says we are then, you know, we can. So I, I was reading this the other day in the um, Amplified Version, and I really liked it, so that's what I'm going to read from uh, Ephesians 6. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord, draw your strength from him, and be empowered through your union with him, and in the power of his boundless might. Put on the full armor of God, for his precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Therefore, put on the complete armour of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger and having done everything that the crisis demands to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, victorious. So stand firm and hold your ground having tightened the wide band of truth, personal integrity, moral courage, around your waist and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, an upright heart, and having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the With all prayer and petition, pray with specific requests at all times, on every occasion and in every season, in the spirit. And with this in view, 
Stay alert with all perseverance and petition, interceding in prayer for all God's people. And pray for me, that words may be given to me when I open my mouth, to proclaim boldly the mystery of the good news of salvation, for which I am an ambassador in chains. And pray that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly and courageously as I should. Sorry about this microphone. Thank you. I'll turn it off. Do you want to just, um, we're going to invite you just to spend kind of 20 minutes or so reflecting on these questions at your tables. Do you want to explain about that question before? Yeah, yesterday I was thinking about what our minds are like, and it's, it's almost You know, when it's been on a while, it, it kind of goes to screensaver <laughs> automatically. You know, it's set to a certain time. And I, and I think our minds do that, and our mind does. And so I wanted you to think about what, what is your default kind of mind <laughs> screensaver, if we can kind of think about that. Um, what's your go-to thought? Is it, is it one of the Lord? Is it one of... I am who the Lord says I am, or is it one of shame or, or something else? Um, you know, sometimes we've got to, if, if something's been up for a while on our computer, we need to refresh it. It's kind of gone stale. And I think we need to do that with our minds. We need to be more proactive in this. Uh, so, yeah, refresh with some truth. But, but that's what I was meaning by that question for. Does that make sense? Yeah, lovely. So let's spend a little... Uh, but leave some time to, to, to pray for one another. You know, based upon what you're hearing from one another, let's agree with God and his truth and his ways and uh, invite his spirit to continue his work, leading us all into to greater freedom together. That sound okay? All righty. 